everybody. Welcome to another episode of Book Goodies um, author series of podcasts. My name is Deborah Carney. I'm your host. And I'm joined tonight by Chris, who is an author of a very interesting book. Chris, can you um, introduce yourself and tell the folks a little bit about your background? I'd be happy to. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, my name is Chris Hefeseu. I um, am by day a um, an entrepreneur and CEO. I run um, my own company, which is a consulting firm to the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, it seems as though my second job is um, speaking and promoting the concepts the concepts of my book. The book is called CDO. Chief Daddy Officer, The Business of Fatherhood. It is um, a book about applying one's business skills to the business of parenting and personal relationships. And it is more than a peripheral interest of mine. It is actually my own experience in raising my daughter as a single dad uh, since the age of seven. She is now 25. And the results have been phenomenal. Well, and I love the title of it, the CDO. Um, I'm sorry, what's that? Crinkling? Um, CDO okay. is actually the initials of Chief Daddy Officer. Officer, right. Um, so, what gave you the idea to write the book? Well, it's actually very interesting because um, a publisher came to me some time ago, um, three years ago, in fact, and asked me to uh, write a business book. And my immediate knee-jerk reaction was that there's no way I'm going to dedicate that kind of time and effort to a business book. I don't believe that the world is exactly craving a business book. Right. And um, I also don't have an awful lot of respect for business books that are um, other than textbooks. They serve a purpose. Most others are a little more than... um, either self-promoting or, as I would call, the edifice books, such as, you know, Trump's, Donald Trump's uh, series of books, which is, you know, venerate me, I am such a great <laughs> business person. So, um, exactly. it, which, which he, he is, obviously, he's a very capable individual, but, um, you know, the, the uh, drivers uh, that people have to write a book are very different person to person, and to me, uh, if I was going to undertake that kind of of, of effort, um, which, it, as every author knows, that's a labor of love and no exaggeration, I wanted it to have some residual effect. I wanted to be able to give something to another parent that they will hopefully have a an aha moment and be able to apply it in their own life as well. Well, and that's really important because, you know, parenting, there's a lot of different parenting styles and, you know, just like in anything else in life, there's a lot of different ways to do things. But there are also some key elements that, like you said, something in your book might trigger that aha moment where someone isn't getting something or doesn't understand something about their child or something isn't working in their in their day-to-day life. And then they read how you went through it and what principles you applied, and boom, they fixed a problem. And That's exactly right. And, and if it, even if it isn't um, a, an issue of fixing a problem, but a validation of what it is that they are doing, mm-hmm. that being right, 
uh, or wrong, whichever the case may be, they at least know that they are not the only ones dealing with that problem. And unfortunately, um, an awful lot of families today are single parent families, and that has special applications to that to that group. Though most of my readers seem to come from uh, nuclear families, the more traditional, you know, two-parent family, and they seem to uh, have gleaned an awful lot of good information out of it, as um, evidenced by the uh, reviews that the book has on Amazon. Well, and and that's important to note that, you know, whether you're a single parent or whether you're a dual, you know, two parents or whether you're step parents or whatever the relationship is, you know, parenting is parenting. And yes, it is more challenging for a single parent, um, especially, you know, because somebody has to make money for the family and, you know, you have to make a decision. Can you work from home? Is your job taking you away from your child? You know, child care is a little more difficult than if you uh, were in a two-parent family. And you can come across the same problems, you know, with uh, two parents that work or with, um, you know, any number of circumstances. You know, and it can be a single mom as well as a single dad. And the validation part is also so important because, you know, one of the things that we're doing with the Book Goodies Author Podcast Series is we're letting authors know that you're not the only one out there. So your book goes along those lines by telling single parents or parents in general, you're not the only one dealing with these things. And this is how I dealt with it. You might want to deal with it this way, too. And if you do, you get that validation that, oh, good, he does it that way. So I'm not the only one doing it this way. That's exactly right. And, and whether you're doing something right or wrong, if, if this book, or any book for that matter, allows you to just see, look at the same problem from a different uh, perspective, mm-hmm. that is really what, what is important and what is of value. In my case, I, I mean, when my daughter was born 25 years ago, there were no owner's manuals back then, and they're not... <laughs> They're not that now for children. And, and the, the closest thing I actually had to a parenting book, and I'm not talking about infancy and, and you know, those types of more, quote-unquote, mechanical things. Yeah, Dr. Spock. Exactly. I mean, those are of infinite help to, to a new parent. But when I became a single parent, and this is a, a single dad to a girl, which has its own challenges. <laughs> um, the closest uh, book that that I had read that offered some tangible advice was um, a book by Bill Cosby called Fatherhood. Oh, awesome it, book! It, it is an awesome book, and you know w- what I found out from there. The thing that screamed at me at each and, and every page was that no matter what you do, you're going to end up doing the wrong thing, unfortunately, (laughs) more often than not. Uh, No matter what you do, you cannot withhold love from your child. Right. It is okay to be upset at yourself or upset at your child. The question is how you manifest that. Yeah. Um, And the number one most important um, takeaway from that book was 
the importance of having a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And that got me through some difficult days and circumstances more, more efficiently and more fruitfully than almost anything else I've read in that book or any other. Yeah. And, and that's something that when you're in the middle of a stressful situation with a child that, you know, you, you need to take a step back and, you know, like Bill Cosby, you know, I mean, he said one of his famous lines is, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. And he doesn't really mean it that way. He just means it as, you know, you're my child and, you know, we can we can work this out. And, you know, I'm the dad. Listen to me. And, 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 and that's exactly right. And, and if you if a person knows anything about his life and the kind of father that he that he is, he doesn't just say those things. He actually practices practices what he preaches. Yeah. And and the humor in that um, the I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Or the other one, you know, I. I walked, it, when I was your age, I walked to school, you know, both ways, uphill both ways. You know? <laughs> and, and so it, it kind of breaks that um, facade that parents have about themselves right. and that children have about their parents. Right. And makes the whole communication, which is the key to any kind of relationship, make, makes that a lot more uh, tangible and um, it, it, it demystifies it. It, yep. it I'm, It's not that there is a dictator and, there, and, and tyranny is the, the name of the game, mm -hmm. but it is, I'm a parent, I love you, I, I, I'm gonna ask you to do things, um, hopefully not very frequently, that you would not like, and I will do my best to give you a sensible explanation for my reasons for doing that, though I don't expect you to agree with me most of the times. Right. And that's okay. It's okay to agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. And especially with kids. kids, Because, again, like you said, it's not a tyranny, and you want to foster creativity within your child, which also means that they're going to disagree with you, and you want to... Um, you want to let them know that you don't have to end every argument with a, I'm right, you're wrong. You know, you can end an argument with, okay, we have differing points of view on this. And, you know, you can settle arguments, you know, verbally, you know, use your words instead of like, you know, a little kid coming up and punching you in the knees because you're, you've got them upset and they're throwing a tantrum. And, you, um, when you use humor, humor, as you said, it demystifies, but it also breaks the ice and breaks the tension. You know, it, With, it, without exception. Yeah. And, and and you made an awful lot of of terrific points, and one of them being that of having respect for for one another, and and we somehow as adults expect um, our children to have respect for us, but I'm not sure that every parent does his or her fair share in earning the respect of the child. Yep, exactly. And, and here is where I compare and contrast um, an awful lot of things that 
happen at, at work versus home, you would never imagine a an employee of yours, somebody who reports to you or somebody who works with you in the same organization, you would never imagine um, talking down to them, uh, demeaning them, and so on and so forth. I mean, does it happen in the workplace? Of course it does. But it, it doesn't, it, it does not make for a productive um, work environment, and it certainly does not make uh, for a productive home environment. And of the two, the latter is far more important. Well, and you brought up something really important that is the way I raise my children is that you talk to them like an adult. You talk to them like you're talking to another adult. You don't talk down to them. You don't discount their theories on something. You know, you don't automatically dismiss their idea because they're younger, um, you know, or they're your child. And, you know, there are times when you have to say, I'm the dad, I'm the mom, you have to do what I say. You know, there, and usually for me, that was around issues that involved safety. You know, like if they were doing something that they could harm themselves or harm someone else, you know, I would stop them and say, you have to stop because I said so. I will explain it more to you later. You know, we can't go into it right now. And you, um, you know, when you respect your children, you know, I have a grandson that's 12 that is more mature than, than most 18, 19-year-old young men. You know, because his mother has always respected him as a young man and not treated him like a little boy. And that is absolutely correct. Uh, children, I have found in my own experience raising my daughter and, and uh, now being in, in a very fortunate position, I've, I've been remarried and, and in between the two of us, we now have four daughters, all of them adults. Uh, but it doesn't matter what the age of the child is, you, if if you want the respect, you have got to give it. Mm -hmm. And um, that kind of interaction and treating a young child, not as an adult, but treating them with the courtesies and respect that an adult deserves and demands, right? I believe makes increases their maturity level a great deal. Mm -hmm. And they learn how to problem solve much better. You know, if you're if your problem solving with them is go to your room, they're never going to learn how to solve a problem. You know, I mean, there are times when you do have to say go to your room and think about it or whatever, and then come out and tell me what you came out with. But you know, if if every argument ends up it with you know go to your room, I don't want to see you, I don't want to speak to you, you're enforcing some really heavy negativity into your relationship there. And Absolutely. you would not do that at work. Like you said, at work, you would go to the boss's office and say, hey, I've got a problem, you know, and here's the problem, and how can we solve it? And it's really funny that you are, are you wrote a whole book about this when this is like, there are a lot of parents out there that do exactly that. So you're, like you said, you're validating it. That's exactly correct. So, um, okay. So now, how did you how did you publish your book? Did you self publish? Did you go with a traditional publisher? No, I went with a, a traditional publisher, um, but there was a very interesting um, uh, uh, sideline that I did, and that was actually uh, 
creating an outline of the book, and that that was primarily primarily generated because of my lack of available time and and my very low tolerance to delayed gratification. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it, those of us who uh, have started and operate businesses, we kind of want to see things not necessarily immediately, but but in really the, soon. Yes, yes, <laughs> and and. Um, being involved in something that would take one, two, three years, three years to to develop from concept to to publication, it, it just doesn't thrill me. And because of the demands of my time, I knew that I could take short chunks of time to devote to the book, but I could not really be one of those people who can write a page a day. Right. Um, that that I, I absolutely admire people who who do that, and and many well-known novelists such as John Grisham and and others, um, they and, and Dan Brown in particular, they say that if you do not write a page a day, you cannot consider yourself as working on your book with diligence. Uh, that's terrific if, if that is how I earn my living, but that's not my case. Therefore, to me, that was a quote-unquote second job. So what I did do was I created a fairly detailed outline so that it was almost, um, I, I guess I'll, I can liken it to a, a PowerPoint presentation. Okay. Um, each chapter had a headline, mm -hmm. and then there were certain bullet points below that headline, and those bullet points were my prompt of what I wanted to talk about in that particular um, section. Mm -hmm. And then I took that outline, um, which was about three pages, and I sat in front of a... Um, tape recorder and recorded the whole book in, I believe it was 11 hours. Wow. It was, yeah, it was then transcribed, yeah. and um, I used one of the publisher's um, editors, and, and um, we cleared that up, cleared the clutter, because obviously spoken word is very different than written word, and, and the two shall never meet. And <laughs> And, and um, then I used um, yet another editor who actually um, truly put those concepts into largely what the book is today. So what I ended up receiving was the initial transcript, then a cleaned out version of that transcript, and then uh, each chapter would come to me um, from the editor in what I would um, describe about a 75% finish level. Okay. Um, as those of us who have written anything can readily attest, it's that 25% that's the killer. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it totally is. And so uh, I would get the... Um, the chapters back, and this was happening uh, almost exactly this time last year, mm -hmm. because I remember I 
submitted the manuscript uh, for um, for copy editing um, on uh, in in early July, and so from about May to early July, that was truly the bulk of the work that I did in the book, and it was several hours every day, um, just editing, rewriting um, certain sections, making it more um, reasonable, if you will, uh, from the, more understandable and consumable from the reader's point of view. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, um, a, an author, when they write, especially when they write about their own experiences, they tend to write something which it means something to them because they know the background and they assume an awful lot of things, but a third party reading it, not knowing anything about the background, it doesn't necessarily make sense. Yep. So it was a lot of that um, that went on, and I spent a lot, an awful lot of time going through the accuracy of, of the facts and the validity of the facts uh, with my daughter, who ended up being a contributing author to the book, um, because everything I write about is 50% me and 50% her, and right. the last thing I would ever want is to either put something down that's inaccurate um, or put something down that is highly sensitive to, to her that she may not necessarily <laughs> want to publish. Right. And At least she's not a teenager. If you tried to it, do it when she was a teenager, you, it wouldn't have got published. Um, I, I, w I would have, well, let's put it this way. Um, I could never have written this book um, when she was a teenager because half the book revolves around the teenage years. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's some of the best stories in the book. Right. Um, so what what I did find very much to my ama amazement um, and surprise, and it thrilled me beyond words, was that she not only was she willing to um, list whatever it is that I was to endorse, rather, whatever it is that I had um, put down, but also she went into greater detail, which I would have never thought that she would want to include. Right. But, but as long as it was her doing, it was perfectly fine with me. Right. And it, as a result, um, I've always welcomed the opportunity to do anything with my daughter, but this was... Um, this was something that really took a phenomenal relationship to a level that I never dreamed possible. Well, yeah, you have like a full partnership with her. You know, you um, from the age of seven to the age of twenty-five. You know, you went that. That's when you go through most of the stuff. You know, from one to seven is kind of the easy part. You know, uh, excluding the terrible twos. Um, you know, like you said, those are where the technical books come in handy, the Dr. Spock book and whatever. And as soon as they start hitting eight, nine, that's when you're getting into the trouble spots. And when they hit, you know, teenage years and the hormones start going, then you're pulling your hair out. Um, my boyfriend said that he's, he's really glad he's never had kids because if he had a daughter, she wouldn't leave the house until she was 35. Yeah, and, and two comments on that. Uh, 
one being the terrible twos. You have children, you have grandchildren, as you mentioned before. I am absolutely certain that um, when they were teenagers, you would have gladly taken the terrible twos back <laughs> many times over. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, the, and the other comment, which was regarding your, what your uh, boyfriend said, my favorite um, um, statement uh, from a father toward his daughter was uh, made by Billy Crystal several, several years ago because I, I remember my daughter at the time was um, oh, about 10 years old. So that's good 15 years ago and, and um, he was on um, Jay Leno and Jay asked him you know, how he was dealing with his daughter now being 25 and being beautiful and you know dating and so on and so forth. And his answer was, I have no issues with that. He says, because I have this understanding with my daughter that she just cannot have sex until after I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> I love Billy Crystal and I probably watched that episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And he would say that with such a straight face, and I can see uh, Jay. That is what made it even funnier. Yeah, he's with a straight face. You know, she can't have sex until I'm dead. Yep. And uh, you know, no babies, no no children. That's it. Done. Um, and it's it's people like that that actually make the rest of us feel better because you know, I mean, we all know girls that are out of control, teenage girls. I mean, they just go out of control, and then. The worst fathers or the be- the best fathers, most restrictive fathers, are the ones that were out of control teenage boys, because they know what they wanted from <laughs> out of control teenage girls. Without question. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now, okay. So we went through how you got published and how your daughter was such a big influence in editors. You did a great job explaining editing and why you need editing. And I also wanted to touch on, um, you talked about uh, recording and transcribing. That's exactly what I need to do because I am not, um, I am a writer and I've written some things, but in order to tell, um, some people have wanted me to, to start an autobiography type of a book. And in order for me to do that, I need to do it into a tape recorder because I can't write it down. I have to be talking to people about it, and I can talk very well about it, but I can't write it, and I don't know what the block is, but I have other podcasts that I have that I get transcribed on a regular basis because there's so much good information, even though it's the, um, even though it's verbal, right, you, it's still so much really great information, so um, I, I do do get a lot of uh, recordings transcribed simply to pull out the really good information that's that's in there, and like you said, you can't use them as is because dialogue, you know, isn't going to be the same when you read it on uh, paper. But they do give a good. Um, it gives you a good head start, and it removes writer's block. I'm sure for you it was much easier to talk about a lot of stuff than it would have been for you to try and type it or write it or be interrupted. And and it was easier for your workflow to just take 11 hours to record it. It was that. Uh, but it also, in my case, because of the subject, um, it, it also had uh, some moments which, in, and those moments were 
plentiful throughout the editing period um, that it became very emotional. Yes. It is, it is very different uh, when you write something. There are different emotions that jump up from the page. But when you speak it yeah. uh, and you hear your own voice saying those things, it is um, it, it evokes a whole different set of of um, uh, the sentiments, and and I'm grateful for both experiences because um, if if nothing else, writing this book uh, was um, rewarding and at, at every level, and it made me realize an awful lot of things about myself, about my daughter, and about the family unit itself, however you term that family unit. Right. Yeah, we have so many definitions of family unit these days that, you know, it, it can be almost anything. Um, but you you do explore during your writing and during your, you know, if you record a podcast, you do, uh, or if you just record into a microphone, you do relive things and it brings you to conclusions which is another reason why I like to do podcasts like this rather than having you uh, having me send you a bunch of questions that you then you know type the answer to and send back to me which I know those those are very important interviews also you know those are great for the people who do those but for me it's more about a conversation so that you know you and I agree on things and we disagree or we think of things after we're talking discussion to me is so much better than a written interview uh, people get to I, hear your voice for one thing yes and and for another besides the practicality of those of us who have very li limited time to read things just reading just another thing is not necessarily what I crave to do, mm -hmm. but I do have time when I drive, and I do have time when I work out, and I do have time when I'm out gardening or whatever, and, and you know, my iPhone is in my pocket, and, and my headphones are in my ears, and I listen to whatever it is that I want to listen to mm -hmm. that way. Yep. To the point of your recording, um, and, and using a podcast as opposed to a, a written interview, this very interview, this very conversation we're having now could never have been had um, in a written format unless it was war uh, recorded and transcribed. Yep, exactly. And um, I do hope to transcribe most of these, but the point, you know, the point being that um, it's just another piece of correspondence. You know, if I send you a list and say, answer these questions for me. Yes. And um, to me, dialogue is one of the things that maybe were, um, I mean, nothing, nothing against writers, nothing against bloggers that do things their way. I'm, I'm a very verbal person. You know, I'm a, I'm a photographer, I'm a very visual person, and I'm a very verbal person. And to me, doing it the other way just isn't right. Um, like I said, I love my transcripts. You know, because we can, you know, dig out all that information. But people want to consume information in different ways. And you hit it when you said, you know, I get more people that tell me that they listen to my podcast while they're jogging or while they're working out or while they're driving, you know, and you can listen to it in the background while you're working or, 
you know, it's not something that requires your total attention, but as you're listening to it, you're picking up things and then you'll hear something. And if you miss something, you can rewind a little bit, you know, to go back to old terminology. Yes, yes indeed. <laughs> you know, you can go back and re-listen. And it's the same as flipping back a couple pages. So, um, for a writer just starting out, what would be the one nugget of information you would give them? Two things. You, you, you have to really want to write a book to enjoy the experience of writing a book. If writing is it, short types of, of stories is your style of writing, unless you're writing a short story book, then you would probably be happier as a blogger. It isn't, it isn't for the faint at heart only because of the discipline that it takes. And so when somebody begins to embark in this, in this process, and, and most, most people um, who I, I meet that they find out that I have written a book, and I'm sure you've experienced the very same thing, and your audience certainly has experienced the same thing, they have this kind of admiration toward an author. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the only admiration really is where it is warranted. It's warranted because of the discipline and the effort that it takes. So unless you have the commitment to do that, then you would probably be disappointed and frustrated by the process. So having said that, then the other bit of information would be would be to try to make your own very personal process as streamlined as possible. And I have never been one to organize my thoughts on paper in, in ways of long outlines and, and so on and so forth because I've known people for whom an outline is nearly as long as, as the book. Mm-hmm. My rule of thumb is create an outline that will actually keep you focused. And a good way to create the, out, the outline is make the outline about three to four times longer than the table of contents. So in other words, if your table of contents is a page, mm-hmm. add three, two, two, three, four pages behind that so that you can actually take each one of the headers of, of the chapters, let's say, in the table of contents, and list three or four bullet points below that. It is amazing how that will get you focused on what it is that you want to to discuss in your book. And of course, the editing process is a never-ending process, but at some point you've got to call it, quote-unquote, a book, uh-huh. uh, so that it can go from line editing to copy editing, and and you can move it along the process. Otherwise, you can just forever be editing. Right. And, and one last thing. I'm sorry. You asked me for one. I'm giving you That's three. That's okay. Because, this is because, great. Because there, I, I, it's very difficult really to um, identify just one. Uh, but the the other thing in, in my case was. I would be driving or I would be doing something totally unrelated to the book. And 
an example will come to mind or an idea will come to mind. And what I ended up doing was if I would, I would driving, I would just always have a pad of paper next to me and I would just, you know, scribble a word or two that will just be a reminder to me to actually write a line about it um, as a reminder to talk about that particular instance. And so things really come to you when you least expect them and you don't want to miss those opportunities. You don't want to say, oh, well, that doesn't fit. Well, write it down. It may fit, it might. It may not, but if it's not there, it will never make it in. Very true, very true. And I'm hearing more and more writers um, talk about that. And, you know, it's really funny because I've, I've done some long road trips in my, in my day, and you always get these great, wonderful ideas while you're driving down the road. And, you know, if you can't tell them to somebody or you can't pull over and write them down or you have no way to capture them, by the time you get to your destination, you're like, it's all gone. It's like yeah. it exists only while you're in the car. And, exactly. Uh, or, you know, people who get their brilliant ideas in the shower. or And it's usually when you're just quiet and not thinking about anything. You know, when you're driving, you're paying attention to the road, you're maybe listening to music, and then all of a sudden your mind floods with ideas. And you're in the shower, and you're just relaxing, and boom. And when you lay down to go to bed at night, you know, you... You're laying there in bed, and you're almost asleep, and boom, terrific idea comes. And um, most of the time, we won't get up and write it down, and then we lose it. And I'm hearing more people that are like, I keep my pad and pencil by the bed because I never know, you know, when that great idea is going to come to me. And I'm sure as a businessman, you do the same thing because not only for a book, but in your business, you know, whatever you're doing. Exactly. And, and the thing is, is that we all are employing different types of technologies, but I, I think I know one person these days that has, um, I guess the opposite of a smartphone will be a stupid phone, I'm not sure, <laughs> but, but <clears throat> most everyone has either an, a, an iPhone or some other kind of device. Well, they all have an application in there that it is a, that's a note or a memo application or some such thing. Mm -hmm. It's the the detriment to a person that takes a lot of notes or writes a lot of notes is having all of those notes in one place. If you don't right. have those in one place, it, you will never be able to pull them out from um, when you need them. Mm -hmm. So because the device that's always on me is my iPhone, I ended up uh, writing those notes on my iPhone, on the notepad of the iPhone, with the exception, of course, when I was driving, that's why I will just scribble something on whatever paper was next to me, mm -hmm. and then I will enter it when I got to my destination. But because I, I did that at any given time, I always had those notes available to me when I needed them. And, and that's great. And, and, you know, the quote-unquote brilliance was not lost. Right. <laughs> and, you know, there's also, most of the smartphones have a vocal, you know, where you can record voice. Yes. They have a voice recorder in them. So, you know, if you can get into the habit, if you're in the car by yourself and, um, 
you know, you, you're not distracted by, you know, the other kids or your spouse or whatever in the car, um, you can hit the record button and just start talking. And again, you know, I mean, if you've got someone who can transcribe for you in your business, if, you know, if you've got a, a secretary, they don't call them secretaries anymore. If you have a personal assistant or an administrative assistant or someone that you can go to for transcription, yeah, absolutely. You know, get used to vocalizing those ideas instead of just uh, scribbling them down and, and or not capturing them at all. Exactly. And, and again, a, a note is not supposed to be a chapter right. on, on your book. It, it should be something succinct and ideally something that will cause you to recollect whatever came to mind at the point that it came to mind. If, if the note is as long as you know, a page, um, you're probably writing too much and, and 99% of that will not be useful. Yep. And one of the things that I, I learned long ago, I don't even remember who said it to me, if it was in one of the creative writing courses or a book I read, and they said when you come to the end of a writing session, you know, for whatever reason, you have to go make dinner, or you have other obligations, and you need to stop writing, write yourself a half a sentence. Don't complete the sentence. Write yourself a half of a sentence so that you will read it and then you'll remember what the rest of the sentence was supposed to be and where that was supposed to lead you. And that actually makes a lot of sense. I've never heard of that before, but um, it does make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, like when you wrote that, you know, like you said, you'd scribble a word or two words or three words. Right. You know, you didn't put the complete thought down. You just put the things that would trigger the complete thought to come back. Exactly. So, well, Chris, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Um, I appreciate it so much, and I actually want to go read your book, even though I'm not raising any kids right now. It just sounds like a fascinating, it's a fascinating title, and uh, I have a feeling that it's uh, got a lot more in it than, uh, like you said, than just, just the parenting stuff. It sounds like it's got some other things in there as well. It applies to grandparents as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, sharing my thoughts and my experience with you and your listeners thank you and um a lot of people listen on itunes or you know like you said they're away from their computer when they're listening can you tell people where they can find you and your book on the internet yes um they can go to my website which is cdo again the letter c the letter d the letter o and then chief daddy officer.com okay. and that will uh, take them to my website and all that information is there. Um, I am also searchable uh, by the same title on um, Amazon and every online uh, bookseller. And um, the ideal thing with Amazon is that um, uh, readers' reviews are there and one can get a pretty good idea of what people are thinking about in the book before buying the book. Awesome. And for those of you who are listening that haven't, you know, that aren't on a, uh, on a computer right now, when you, when you do get a chance, please go to bookgoodies.com and do a search for Chris or for CDO, Chief Daddy Officer, and you will be able to find the podcast and you can leave us, com leave us comments and, you know, possibly uh, ask questions, something you want clarified or 
Um, if you go to the top of the page at bookgoodies.com, there's a contact form where you can let us know if there's a topic you want us to talk about. Or if you want to be a guest yourself on one of our podcasts. So, Chris, I want to thank you once again. Um, We also want to thank GeekCast, Geek, like in Computer Geek, and Cast, like in Podcast, geekcast geekcast.fm, where you can find more podcasts about Internet marketing, marketing in general, parent, you know, being a work-at-home mom or dad, since a lot of people in the industries I work in happen to be entrepreneurs that work from home. And um, we would also uh, invite you to come follow us on Facebook and Twitter at slash book goodies on either one of those sites. And if you want to find out about me, you can go to DebraCarney.com or follow Twitter.com slash Loxley, L-O-X-L-Y. And once again, Chris, thank you so much. You've been a wonderful guest. And um, everybody, have a great night, but make sure that you get writing first, and we hope you enjoyed our podcast.